sure but it seems like we may be having a little bit of difficulty with the YouTube uh, channel if we are we're going Facebook live too so you guys can alternate between the two and look we always post these up on our website later links for you to get if nothing else the audio so uh, hope that you're able to tune in and worship with us today I'm gonna be reading from 1st Corinthians chapter 15 I think it's gonna be verses 12 through 26 so if you want if you want to turn there with me, we're going to read that. I'll give you a second to find it. If you have a paper copy or if you have a phone or some type of smart device, you can scroll or flip over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the Apostle Paul wrote this. And this is an amazing chapter um, about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about it in the beginning, and then he, he just lays out all the glories of the coming resurrection for followers of Jesus. 
And then the very last verse, he makes an application currently for us. So I'm just going to read verses 12 through 26, and you can follow with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 26. Paul writes, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, to God. Excuse me. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now I want to fast forward. You may not have this verse uh, if, if you downloaded some of the verses for today. But I want to read it because it's going to set the trajectory of where I want to go today. And it's verse 58. This is a long chapter in the Bible. And the last verse in this chapter is just ties everything together for me and hopefully it will for you too. Verse 58, this is the way that the Apostle Paul closes out this chapter. He's been talking about the past, Jesus being raised from the dead. Then he goes into talking about the future. You and I being followers of Jesus, we're going to experience a resurrection but then he goes into the here and now. And I think a lot of people, honestly, maybe even some Christians, they say, look, is this just pie in the sky by and by? Or does this matter right here, right now, where the rubber meets the road during a pandemic outbreak when COVID-19 is like wrecking the planet, wrecking our plans? Does the resurrection matter? And here's Paul's answer. And so this should be our answer. Verse 58, it says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we're going to talk about how to smile at death. That does not mean that you're disengaged, unengaged, apathetic, indifferent. It doesn't mean that you go and bury yourself in a cave or in a hole somewhere in the middle of, in the, middle of the desert and, and that you like totally check out from reality. No, this is, this is like you go back to reality with the right perspective and you are courageous, you are resolved, you are fearless, you are ready to face whatever it is that God brings your way. That's what it means to be immovable and steadfast. It means you're standing firm. Nothing moves you, nothing shakes you. I mean, let's be honest. Do you have that kind of confidence? Are you seeing that kind of confidence right now? You know what's interesting? It's, it's, it's acceptable to talk about death at Easter because obviously everyone's like, yeah, 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 I heard Jesus died and then he rose from the dead. You can talk about that. Or at a funeral, you can talk about death because, duh, you know, there's a coffin sitting in front of you. But any of the other times, it's almost like nobody wants to talk about death, right? Well, right now, death seems to be on everyone's radar because we just broke the 100,000 um, number statistic yesterday at some point with people who have died from COVID-19, from the coronavirus. And so I think a lot of people are thinking about death right now. And I also think a lot of people are very afraid and they're panicking. And so I can't think of a better time. Even if this wasn't Resurrection Sunday, I'd still probably preach on this because I think it's ultra relevant. So um, I don't usually preach how-to sermons, but hopefully you'll make an exception and, and allow me to do that today. Uh, if you don't, I guess there's nothing you can do about it except click off, right? 
because that's what I want to do. I don't usually preach how-to sermons, um, but I want to talk about death this morning, and I can assure you that it's relevant for every single one of us because um, history confirms and the Bible tells us you're going to die, and I'm going to die. Whether you want to or not, whether you're prepared or not, you're going to die. Ten out of ten people die, right? <laughs> um, no matter what, we are all going to one day face death. Even if you try to escape, you feel like Houdini-ish, okay? And you want to go do what I used to hear when I was a kid, Michael Jackson was going to like freeze himself and then like thaw out when they found a cure for death. But look, uh, that didn't work out for him, and I'm not mocking that. But listen, even if you did that, eventually, bro, you got to thaw out. <laughs> and you know what? You're going to have to face death. Try and prolong it. Try to escape it. It doesn't matter. You're going to have to face death one day. So this is not a sermon about how to face death. You're going to do that whether you want to or not. This is a sermon about how to smile at death. And I, I kind of take my title, just full transparency here. One of my favorite movies in the world is Gladiator. It came out in the year 2000. And there's a famous quote in that movie that's actually historically accurate because the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, actually said this in his writings. He was a philosopher as well as an emperor. And he said this. He said, death smiles at all of us. All a man or a woman can do is smile back. He actually said that. But you know what he didn't say or didn't explain? How do you do that, man? How do you smile at death? How's that work? I mean, is it just you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you get all resolved and you get all courageous? You go out there and you get yourself some courage? Because that's not what the Bible says to do. No, it's, it's all about perspective. The only way that you and I are able to smile at a tremendous enemy like death is to have the right perspective about it and, and to put death in its proper place and to put ourselves in our proper place. Um, so I'm not talking about running and hiding. Um, whenever I say how to smile at death, here's what I mean. You're not running and hiding, but you're also not kicking and screaming, right? When death does come, when your day comes, you're not kicking and screaming and you're not running and hiding. It, it reminds me, I was reading last night actually, um, of a confirmed martyr named Saint Focus. Don't let the word saint throw you there. We got a lot of saints, Saint Augustine, good men, good women um, from the past. Saint Focus, that's P-H-O-C-A-S, um, in the late third century, early fourth century, he was martyred. The emperor Diocletian was calling for all Christ Christians who were spreading their doctrine to be executed on the spot. So he sent out his Roman soldiers to find this dude named Saint Focus who was making a lot of converts. Uh, and they were looking for him and they came into the city where he lived uh, and a man greeted them at the edge of the city. And he said, can I help you? And they said, yeah, we're looking for a man named Focus. And he said, I know him. And in the morning, I would be happy to take you to him. He and I are very dear friends. And he said, but in the meantime, would you come to my house? You're hungry, you've been on a long journey. I'll feed you, I'll put you up for the night. And he did, this man showed them incredible hospitality. He was very kind to them. He fed them. He let them sleep in his bed, and, and uh, the next morning when they got up, they said, would you please take us to Focus now? And he said, yes, I will. I'm him. That's actually me. This is my house, and uh, I understand the orders you've been given, and I, I'm certainly not here to try and deter you from carrying out your, your civic duty. Um, but what he did that night while they slept is he went in his garden. St. Focus was a gardener, and he dug his own grave, and then he brought those soldiers to his garden, and he, he told them, you can go ahead and behead me right here. That's, that's what I'm talking about, how to smile at death. He didn't run and hide, and he wasn't kicking and screaming and begging for his life. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. We all approach death differently. But I don't know if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's just incredible to me the, the courage and the faith and the confidence and, and the uh, repose that those men and women had when they were persecuted and slaughtered for their faith. They went to the lions singing singing hymns. Many of the people who were burned at the stake sang hymns. And listen, they, don't, they didn't have anything then that we don't now. I just believe this. They lived in a, in a culture that was just permeated with death. And so this doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus meant probably more to them then than it does to us now because we have all these novel technologies and it's no what, man, we prolong death. We live longer than we ever have. We have modern medicine. We have dry ice to freeze yourself. I mean, whatever it is, I don't think the resurrection is as precious to us as it was to them. But maybe, maybe that's one of the many things that God is doing during this COVID pandemic stay-at-home order. We have more time to think, and we think, you know what? This is this is an incredible doctrine. And every time in the in the Bible that the gospel is preached, 
You can't leave that out. If Jesus just died on Good Friday and he stayed up on the cross, we're all hopeless. We we're going to live lives that are paranoid. We're going to be like the person that buys an expensive 52-inch plasma TV at Walmart and you're trying to walk out of the store and they're stopping you and asking for your receipt and you don't have it. The resurrection is your receipt. How do we know that all the promises that God made to us through Jesus are actually true and verified and vetted and reliable? The resurrection. The resurrection tells us everything Jesus ever said is true. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, it's true. The resurrection confirms that. So that's what I'm talking about when I say how to smile at death. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of death. And here's why. Because God has put eternity in our hearts. And we are the only creatures in the world, human beings are, that know we're going to die. Because God put eternity in our hearts. We suppress it. We don't like to talk about it. You know, at the water cooler, uh, we don't like to make jokes about it. We avoid funerals like the plague. We avoid funerals like COVID-19, you know. But the reality is, even though we suppress it, uh, we know what Hebrews 9.27 says. It has been appointed to all mankind once to die. But here's what really scares us. It's the rest of that passage. It's been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So we know that death means we're going to stand before our maker one day and give an account of our lives. And that flips people out. They freak out over that. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to talk about it. Um, I remember one of my favorite stories is Charles Dickens' classic. I watch it every year at Christmas with my family, A Christmas Carol. And you know, whenever we call it the ghost of Christmas future, but it's actually in the book, it's a, it's, it's a phantom. It's a phantom that comes. And when... When the character, Ebenezer Scrooge, sees this phantom, he knows he is staring at his immediate future and he's looking death in the face. And here's what he says. He says this, I fear you more than any specter I have seen tonight. And why is that? I mean, we can all resonate with that even though it was written a long time ago, right? We are afraid of death. It scares us. It intimidates us. Um, it's hard to accept the fact that one day our bodies are going to be in the ground and our names are going to be on the paper, in the paper and on a tombstone somewhere that unsettles us and alarms us in fact did you know that there is something called death apprehension theory that is a million dollar maybe even a billion dollar business people are so freaked out about the thought of death that they will pay lots of money for somebody to try and help them cope with it uh, because that's a there's a fear called thanatophobia it comes from the greek word thanatos and it means fear of death people are so freaked out over death they're going to go see a therapist and a counselor, which is not wrong to do, oftentimes they can be super helpful. But I'm not just talking about somebody that can help you cope with death. I'm talking about how to, how to face death with a smile on your face with confidence. That's what this is about. So uh, the good news is I'm going to help you do that. And the better news is I'm not going to charge you a penny. This is free, okay? Just like the grace of God, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs God everything. Um, I know we're, we're put off by confessions sometimes, but that's my outline for today. I've got three confessions that are going to help you smile at death. And here's confession number one. Are you ready? Confess that death is, in fact, your enemy. Confess that death is your enemy. You're not going to smile at death by downplaying it, okay? Because it is a tremendous enemy. And you're like, ah, I don't know, Pastor. I don't, I'm not afraid. I don't really like calling death things like that and personalizing it. Well, I'm just taking my cues from the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. Because you look, if you look at it, that's exactly what he says. He calls death the enemy, not just an enemy, a lesser enemy, like the enemy. If you grew up playing Nintendo or you're a gamer, you know that all these different levels in a game, uh, eventually, if it's a linear game, those are the best kind, eventually it's the final level, it's the last scene, and there's the big boss, right? You're not going to finish this game and rescue the princess or whatever it is, get your money, uh, get, get awarded you know, a, a, a blue ribbon, unless you defeat this final big boss. So you can think of death in that way if you're a gamer, right? Death is the big boss, the, the level that you can't escape, you can't go around it, there's no hack. You gotta face this monster and you gotta come out victorious. Death is called the enemy in the Bible and for good reason, I mean honestly, what would you call something that rips you away from your loved ones, ends your life abruptly, um, smashes all your dreams and your hopes and your plans for retirement? What would you call something like that, your buddy? Your lover? No, you would call it an enemy. I mean, the Bible's got us pegged. Death is not just an enemy, it's the enemy, and it's the last enemy, and it's the most powerful enemy. Um, and there's a reason for that. That's what 1 Corinthians is celebrating, that, that 
God did something. We already know this anyway. Look, if you go, and you got to be careful doing a Google image search, but you go ahead and do a Google image search for death, and you're going to see that we've done the same thing the Bible does. We have personalized death and given it an image. And what is that image? It's the image of a grim reaper, uh, you know, garbed out in a dark, gothic-looking black hood, holding a, a, a wheat sickle. <laughs> right? Why? Because death's a monster. It's scary. It's frightening. Uh, we understand this already. We're just echoing what the Bible has already said. Death is a monster. It's, 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 it's not your friend. It's coming to take you, right? And we can do, we, we find ways to cope. We say, oh, no, 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 pastor, death is just natural and it's mysterious and it's powerful, but it's beautiful and it's just part of the circle of life. And we like go to the Lion King and say, you know, the antelope eat the grass and then we eat the antelope and we're all part of this great big circle and we sing songs. Um, but at the end of the day, death still comes and takes us out, doesn't it? Because it's an enemy. You, you are right to have this hatred and this aversion of death. In fact, let me tell you where death came from. Death was never invited to be a part of God's good creation. Death wasn't around in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, but it didn't take long for death to find its way. If you read the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says this. It says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so that death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. I mean, we're, we're thinking all of us about a virus right now. We're watching this uh, COVID-19 clock tick off really fast and we're like, wow, what a powerful virus. This thing has hit every country, I guess. It's in every state, it's on every continent. It's effect, affecting and impacting everybody. But COVID-19 ain't got nothing on death. The Bible says right there in Romans 5.12, that death has spread to all men. I mean, we're all born carriers of this virus. We're all gonna die because the Bible says we've all participated and have condemnation and have guilt as a consequence of our sin against God. And that's where death came. It came in the garden. When Adam, who was our champion, he was our representative, uh, he was like the patriarch. When he sinned, we all were plunged together uh, into this pandemic of death. So death was an intruder. It was never invited, and that's why it's an enemy. Death is God's judgment on sin. That's, that's why it's so universal, because all of us are sinners. And that's why death is the most democratic experience, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're old or you're young, whether you're white or black or brown or yellow, whatever ethnicity you belong to, my friend, one day you're going to die. That's what the Bible says. So how do humans face death? That's a question I have, because I want to I know as a pastor, how do, how do people typically face death? You know, and maybe you've seen a movie like uh, Meet Joe Black or The Italian Playwright in 1934, Death Takes a Holiday, and you see they portray death as just this nice, handsome, curious personality that comes to the earth, and I think in Meet Joe Black, it was Brad Pitt was death. That's brilliant, right? Give it the most handsome face you can find. And Anthony Hopkins was like this 65-year-old billionaire, and he was about to retire, and he was going to have this big blowout party, and death came and told him, hey, look at your time, man. And so at this, at, at this blowout party, uh, he, he, he got his legacy in order, he settled his accounts, he said goodbye to his loved ones, and he was literally walking over the hill into the sunset with death at his side, with fireworks going off in the background, and he grabbed his heart, Anthony Hopkins did, and he said, I feel a, I feel a tremor, a palpitation. Should I be afraid? And Brad Pitt, death, looked at him and said, not a man like you. And off they walk into the sunset. And I, I'm just curious, is that how death usually goes down? I'd say no. I, I'd actually say no. I actually read an article from the New York Times yesterday, and it talked about the mental anguish that so many people are facing with COVID-19 and all the issues that surround the lockdown order. But most of them were just this paranoia of contracting it and dying. And, and, and they're like at their wits end. I read an article not long ago, and it was about a medical student who sees death all the time, but she watched her mom die. I want to read just a really short excerpt from, from this experience she had. She said, uh, I watched my mother die in horror. Her face crumbled into despair. I know this is graphic, but, but guys, this is reality. I, I, want to, I want to be a part of reality as a pastor, and I want to help you. She said, I watched her face crumble into despair as we held hands she sobbed silently, turning her head from side to side. She didn't speak, she wept. She wept for fear of death. She wept for the betrayal of her body, for the hopelessness of it all. She wept for the places she would never visit, for the retirement she would never have, 
she wept for her only grandchild, my son, who would not remember her. For the second grandchild in my pregnant belly, she would never meet. I have never seen such anguish. This is a medical student. I have never seen such anguish. I have never felt so helpless. She had four months in the ICU, endless and pointless and painful procedures and final days full of fear and despair. That's like one of the most raw, unedited, unvarnished descriptions of what death very often is like for people. They don't face it with a smile. They don't face it with courage or confidence or faith. It's like utter hopelessness and despair. Why? Because death is an enemy. And honestly, we don't even have to wait until we're, we're staring death in the face with a deadly virus that we've contracted or an old age or getting cancer or knowing that your time is short. Death is a fear that grips us our entire life. In fact, let me read this. Let me read this scripture from Hebrews chapter 2. Check this out. Jesus himself, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Doesn't the Bible have us pegged? It's, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I watched some stupid video called Faces of Death that should have been outlawed just because I was a dumb teenager and we were secretly getting together and watching that. And man, I was like haunted by nightmares of dying one day. And it, I, was, I was a kid, I was healthy. But the Bible says our entire lives, if we think too carefully about death as an unbeliever, it's gonna, we're enslaved to it, we're ensnared, we're held captive by that thought of dying because death is an enemy. So that's the first confession. Don't belittle it. Don't try and make death out to be something it's not. Go ahead and confess death is an enemy. It's the final enemy. It's the greatest enemy. That's what the Bible says. But don't stop there, okay? Here's the second confession that, that you gotta get in on. Um, confess yourself as helpless. Confess yourself as helpless. Death is a powerful enemy. And I just wanna shoot you as straight as I can, brothers and sisters. Outside of Christ, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to prevent your death or to cope with death, nothing. I don't care what it is, what website you've been to, what coping mechanism or strategy you have, eventually the monster, you're gonna come face to face with it, right? So confess that you are powerless over it, you are weakless against it. I could lie to you and say, you know what, don't sweat it, death is overrated, but that's not what reality tells us and that's not what the Bible tells us. In fact, there's plenty of sobering reasons why if you are not a believer, a follower of Christ, and you haven't believed the gospel, you should be afraid of death. You should be very afraid of death. And here's why. Because of what Hebrews 9.27 says. It says, we've been appointed to die once and then the judgment. And that means that you and I, one day, will breathe our last. Our heart will beat its last beat. And we will stand in front of our creator and give an account of our life. And because we have all been commanded to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, that means that we go to our death carrying a mountain of guilt and failure and flaws and weaknesses and condemnation. Apart from Christ, you're carrying that on your own and you're gonna have to face God and you're gonna have to give an account. And I think that's the rub. I think that's where the fear comes in. People say, well, the greatest fear is uncertainty. That's right, we don't really know what will happen to some people don't when they die. But the Bible takes the guesswork out for, for us, right? We know what's gonna happen. You're gonna stand before God and you're gonna give an account of your life and you're either gonna try your best to fulfill the great commandments or you're gonna rely on an outside party to fulfill them for you, right? You're gonna stand and you're gonna give an account. Um, and the people that are the most gripped and terrified and fearful of death are the ones that know that deep down. They have a conscience, but they've suppressed it. We've suppressed that reality. Um, so we're powerless against death and every philosopher, every psychologist, uh, and every psychiatrist knows it. Uh, that's not morbid, that's, that's liberating. These confessions will liberate you. Confess that, that death is an enemy. Confess that you're powerless against it because the third point we're gonna get to in a minute, you won't be ready for that unless you've confessed these other two things and have owned them. Um, I read an article the other day, I know I read a lot of articles, but uh, I'm helped by them. And this was a, a website and it, and it was a very popular visited website and it was six ways to overcome your fear of death. Six ways to overcome your fear of death. I'm gonna read them real fast. Now you check this out and you tell me, is this good news for you and I? Number one, and, and keep in mind, we're calling death the enemy, we're calling death a monster. So number one, take control of your life. 
Spend quality time with people you love. Try new things. Challenge yourself. Stay positive. So in other words, ignore the monster. Ignore the enemy, right? Number two, learn to accept that death is natural. Recognize you're part of a great cycle. It's that Lion King thing again. Um, everyone dies, so admit there's a monster. Admit there's an enemy. Number three, read the available literature and self-help. Oh, I just hate those words. Self-help guides. Study death. Tackle the important questions of why we're here and how we should prepare for the afterlife. So study the monster. Study the enemy, right? Number four, adopt rituals and explore spirituality. Rituals are important for creating a sense of meaning in life. They also give continuity to our existence, whatever in the heck that means. So charm the monster, charm the enemy. Number five, focus on living well. Get healthy, walk, run, join a gym when the pandemic is over and they reopen, right? Stay healthy, stay positive, write a bucket list, live well. So slow the monster down or slow down your enemy. And here's the last one. Plan for your passing. Be prepared. Get your affairs in order. Write a will. So I guess beat the monster to the punch or beat the enemy to the punch. Now, look, some of those are great ideas, and you, sh you probably should be doing these things. You should be prepared. You should live healthy. You should know everything about death that you can. But guys, can I just be honest with you? That's not good news to me. That is not good news to me. All that is is a coping strategy that you're probably going to spend a lot of money to have somebody unpack for you. But that's not good Good news, I'm not interested in coping. I wanna be hoping. There's a big difference, big difference between the two. So I have really good news for you. If you've confessed those first two things, Jesus didn't come to just help you and I cope with death. He had something much more comprehensive and glorious and celebrative, which is what we're doing today. So here's the third confession, okay? First, confess that death is an enemy, the enemy, the greatest enemy. Second confession is that you and I are absolutely helpless. Okay, we stand and we can, on our own, we can stand in front of death like those people that protest uh, a bulldozer. And <laughs> when the bulldozer moves forward, dude, you're done. You're buried, right? So here's the third confession, and it is this. Confess Jesus as Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. Confess that death is your enemy. Confess that you're helpless against it. So you better confess Jesus as Lord. And I know a lot of people, they say, I hear that every Easter. That's just pastoral cliche. No, it's actually in the Bible. It's from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, If you and I confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So confess Jesus is Lord. Uh, but I want to tell you what Jesus as Lord did. Because another word for Lord is just king, right? Jesus is king. Like the Kanye West album. He is like reigning over all. He's on his throne. He is the only one that left his lofty throne room in heaven. And he came and he confronted death head on, on my behalf and on your behalf. We couldn't do it. We were powerless. Death was too great for us. It was the big boss at the end of the game that we couldn't conquer to get the prize. But Jesus came down from heaven and he put on human flesh. He became a man. He incarnated himself and he said, Stand back, I've got this. And look, you see all kinds of pictures of that in the Bible. You see it with David and Goliath, right? This, this little shepherd boy that didn't look like much, but man, he believed the promises of God and he was able to face his enemy, Goliath. And, and look, the point of that story is not that you and I are like David's and we can face any Goliath. The point is like we're the, we're the Israelites cowering, shaking, trembling in fear in the background and that somebody did for us what we were unwilling and unable to do and we celebrate and participate in their victory. That's what David represents in that story. He represents the finished work of Jesus. He didn't look like much, right? But man, did he conquer the enemy, the monster on our behalf. There's all kinds of pictures of Jesus doing that. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was spotless. He was God's lamb. He had never sinned in word, thought, or deed. So that's why the Bible says that, that death had no hold on him. Uh, the pains of death couldn't hold him down. Have you guys ever played that as a kid? You're wrestling, you're trying to hold one another down, and, and the strongest man gets up. The Bible says that death did not have any power over Jesus. It couldn't contain him. It couldn't hold him. He kicked the end out of the tomb because Jesus was sinless. That's what the Bible says in Acts 2.24. So uh, death was reigning, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 14 says, From Adam on, death reigned. But here's good news that the Bible teaches us because of Jesus being raised from the dead. In Act, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, it says this. Jesus says, fear not, 
We've been talking about this. When Jesus tells you or God tells you to not be afraid, if you dig deeper, there's a very good reason not to be. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So just imagine, if you're an imaginative person, use your sanctified imagination. Imagine Jesus, after the third day, uh, rising from the grave and holding the keys of death and hell and just dangling them in front of Satan. The Bible says he made a mockery of Satan. He put him to an open shame. He's holding the keys. What do keys represent? Well, they represent access, control, and ownership. And Jesus says, I'm king in these parts. Jesus is king. He is Lord. And when you confess him as Lord and follow him as Lord, the Bible says that you participate in his victory. You get in the car and you do the victory lap with Jesus, so to speak, right? Because you belong to him. You are his and, and, and he is yours. Uh, there's this ownership. There's this, there's this dynamic of participation. So Jesus, our master, holds the keys. He alone has access. Therefore, death is not our master. It is our servant. That's what the Bible teaches. We have a new master. So let me help you understand why death is no longer a threat. It doesn't represent a threat for people who follow Jesus. Because the Bible calls death, for Christians, the Bible makes some amazing claims. It says things like this. The Apostle Paul said, To me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why is Paul calling? He's the same person that said death is the final enemy in 1 Corinthians. In Galatians, he says, for me to die is gain. Why is that? Because listen, friends, if death has been conquered by Jesus, and it has been, it doesn't represent this, this monstrous threat to us anymore. All it is is just a passage into eternity. It is. It's like if you don't believe in Jesus, then death is like a prison bus coming for you to take you out. If Christ is Lord... It's a limo, right? If you don't believe in Jesus, <clears throat> it's like an executioner, death is. If you do believe in Jesus, death is like a gardener. And your body is just like a seed planted in the ground that Jesus is going to resurrect one day and make all things new. That's what the resurrection promises us and assures us. Jesus did not float out of the tomb, friends. He walked out. This is Jesus' creation. He created this world. It's his. And sin and death are not going to have the final word. He's going to restore everything to uh, its original beauty and beyond. It's gonna be better than it was than it was in Eden. That's why death does not represent a threat to us. And that's why when Paul said in the last part of 1 Corinthians 15, therefore be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you can wrap your mind around the beauty and the power of this truth, nothing can shake you, nothing can rock you, right? Because nothing, there's no longer any threat to us. We're able to withstand anything. The Cyprian plague broke out, I think, in the 4th century. And everybody was fleeing from Rome. All the people that believed in this pantheon of false gods and goddesses, man, they booked it. They got out of Dodge. But you know who flocked to Rome? Christians did. And they cared for the sick and the dying, knowing it was their death certificate. But it didn't shake them. Why? The resurrection. I was reading the other day, there were two Moravian missionaries that went to South Africa, and there was a leper colony there. Whether it was Hansen's disease or true leprosy, um, there were thousands of people that lived there and there was an enormous wall built all the way around. These missionaries were also uh, trained doctors and evangelists and they wanted to go in there and minister to the lepers. And the government said, look, if you go in there, we can never let you out because you, you would represent a contagion threat. And they looked at each other and they said, where do we sign up? I mean, how do, how do, people, how do people look at the comforts of life and look at this looming monster of death and say, that does not have any power over me. It's because Jesus is Lord. I just wonder if you're watching this or listening to this today, have you made that confession? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Because listen, friends, this is, this is a powerful truth. If Jesus rose from the dead, I shouldn't even phrase it that way. Since Jesus rose from the dead, um, everything else that he said is true. Everything else that he said is true. When Jesus... Uh, predicted that he would be persecuted, that he would be arrested, he would be betrayed, he would suffer, and that he would die, that came true. When Jesus predicted that on the third day he would rise from the grave, that came true. So listen, everything else that Jesus predicted is going to come true. And one of them is that he's going to come back to gather together his followers and to restore this fallen planet and make everything beautiful again. Um, and only those who are followers of him are, are going to participate in that victory. And that means you can't live your life any way you want to. That's what it means to have a king and to have a lord. It matters. 
Everything in your life matters when Jesus is your Lord. The way you spend your money matters. The way you spend your time matters. The, the way you view sexuality and relationships matters. And the way you view commitment matters. And the way you treat other people matters. Why? Because Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the grave. grave and everything he said, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, the resurrection proves that it's true. You can bank on it. It's legit. It's vetted. That's what the resurrection actually tells us. But when you have peace with God, death is no longer your enemy. You're not afraid by it. You're not threatened by it. Because the Bible says anyone who is in Christ, who belongs to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's no shame. There's no running and hiding. Um, you belong to Jesus. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You can face death with a smile. You can face death with confidence. That is how you prepare for death. If God raised Jesus from the dead, and he did, then there's nothing in your life today that he cannot transform by his power. There's nothing at all that you have to be afraid of. Um, and honestly, Christianity is, is the only, I don't even want to call it a system or a religion, Christianity is the only truth that can help you do that. Uh, there were some college students, I'll close out with this, there were some college students who uh, did a study several years ago in three different countries in death apprehension theory, and they, they were pursuing the answer to an interesting question. They wanted to know, how does religion help people cope with death? I read this and I, I was shocked in some ways, but in other ways I wasn't shocked. Here's what they discovered, uh, something very grisly. <laughs> Religiosity is positively related with a, an increased fear of death. Why is that? Because listen, and, and by religion, I don't mean Christianity, okay? I mean every system of faith where you believe in a higher power, okay? And outside of Christianity, all of those, all of those religions teach you that, that there's steps that you achieve. There, there's a, uh, you know, you have to reach this enlightened state of existence or you have to fulfill these these pillars, or you have to go and bring back the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. There's something you have to do in order to be accepted by God. And for all those religious systems, they found, they discovered those college students in their study, that there was an increased fear of death for people that were religious. Why is that? Because all those other religions have rules. And how do human beings do with rules? We don't do well. We do lousy. We are great rule breakers, aren't we? All of us are rule breakers. That's what the Bible teaches, too. There are none righteous. No, not one. We've all gone astray. So people that are just religious and have this set of standards and systems and rules to follow, they've broken those. So they're like super petrified of death. So you say, how is Christianity any different? Well, Christianity is good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's not good advice. Here's what I mean. When we confess Jesus as Lord and we say he alone conquered death, here's what we mean. Jesus did what you and I could not do and would not do. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. And when he went to the cross, he was actually taking the penalty for our sins. He was absorbing the, the, the fury and the anger and the righteous indignation and the wrath of God. That's what our sin deserves. If Jesus is not your Lord, you're gonna face that on your own, the judgment of God. But the Bible says that because of our confession of faith in Jesus, we are believing the gospel that Jesus stood in our place. He's our substitute. So those rules that we've broken, we have grace that covers them. We have Christ who forgives us. So we don't have to be afraid of death. Uh, for us, death is, you know, I grew up from, uh, I grew up in Arkansas and there was a little taxidermy shop down the road from us. And this man had an amazing gift. He was able to make these animals with their sharp claws and their bright eyes and their, and their prickly hair. They looked so alive. And I was just a little kid, three years old. My dad took me there. And I was petrified. I was looking at all these animals. Um, and my dad had to take me aside and he said, Son, don't be afraid. These animals are all harmless. They can't hurt you. You can look at them. You can study them. You can appreciate their beauty and marvel at them. But they don't represent a threat to you anymore. They're dead. And because of what Jesus did, that's the way you and I can view death. We can appreciate its, its mysterious nature. We can even study it, but it doesn't represent a threat to us. You know, we went through Psalm 23 a few weeks ago, and there's a verse there that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For Christians, death is just a shadow. Have you ever been hit by a shadow? It doesn't hurt, does it? It doesn't hurt at all. Uh, 
But there's substance, you know, I would rather get hit by the shadow of a truck than, than be hit by the Mack truck, right? Jesus got hit by the Mack truck and all we have to face is just the shadow. You know, Jesus is gonna come and escort us into his presence and we don't have anything to be afraid of. So that's the good news today. That's the victory that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus was on the cross on Good Friday, but on, early on Sunday morning, he rose from the tomb and he is not there. We, we worship and we celebrate a risen Savior. He is Lord over all creation and he ascended into the right hand of God and he established his kingdom and we're a part of that. We're living on the other side of the resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, we belong to God, he belongs to us. So pandemic, uh, do your worst, right? <laughs> we, we, we don't have anything to be afraid of. So I hope and I trust that you're able to make those confessions. Death is an enemy, we are powerless against it, but Jesus is Lord and we don't have anything to be afraid of. So I'm gonna pray and then we are going to celebrate communion together this morning, okay? So I hope you've made preparations and you have some crackers or some, uh, some type of bread and some type of juice or wine to use together. But let me pray and then we're gonna move into that section of our service. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that because of what you did, Lord, over 2,000 years ago, we do not have to be afraid. We don't have to be paranoid. Like a person walking out of a, of a store with an expensive piece of merchandise that we think maybe we've paid for, but we can't find the receipt. Lord, the receipt is your resurrection. And we don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to hide. We don't have anything to lose. And we don't have anything to prove. You are our all in all. And you conquered death. And you conquered the grave. And we belong to you, Lord. So your victory is our victory. We did nothing to secure it or accomplish it. You have said it is finished. But we belong to you, Lord, in that victory. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray for our communion service that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now we're gonna get our elements ready here and I think maybe Kyle's gonna play some music for us and then I'm gonna read some passages for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So use this time when Kyle plays music to get your elements and to get them ready and we will do this together as a church family, okay? you have your bread and your crackers or your juice or your wine whatever it is that you're using um, you know it's, it's it's interesting the the communion and the Lord's Supper is actually it shows us continuity from the Old Testament it's the new Passover feast in the night that Jesus was betrayed he was in the upper room with his disciples and he instituted this ordinance and it's a beautiful and a powerful reminder that God gave to the church to make sure see we are also gospel we have gospel amnesia we forget the good news of the gospel, so Jesus gave this um, ordinance to the church, and he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I'm about to do on your behalf because I love you. And the bread or the cracker symbolizes the broken body of Jesus, and of course the wine or the grape juice signifies his shed blood for our sins, covering us. Uh, without the blood of Jesus, the Bible says there's no remission of sins. So we celebrate that good news. Um, and you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the very end of that chapter, it's something that only a Christian can do. Not only does death not represent to us a threat, and this is what we're remembering with this communion, 
but we can actually taunt death. You know, we, we can actually uh, tease death because 1 Corinthians 15 says, hey, death, where's your sting? Hey, grave, where's your victory? Is that all you have? You know, you, you, you can't do anything to me. I'm invincible because of him, because of what Jesus did. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And because of that, I have victory. Hallelujah. That's, that's one of the things uh, that, that this Passover, this new Passover meal symbolizes. But this was instituted in the book of Exodus. Do you remember whenever the children of Israel were held captive in Egypt by Pharaoh and Moses was, well, he came in and God was about to deliver them. They were about to, to experience an exodus, uh, which pictures basically the New Testament when Jesus uh, died on the cross and was risen from the grave. But one of the things that God commanded the children of Israel to do by household, which is so interesting right now, he said, each household should go and get themselves a Passover lamb that's without spot, without blemish. It's basically perfect. You get the best pick from the flock, and it can't have any imperfections or weaknesses. Uh, and then you get your, your cup of wine, and Jesus commanded every family to slaughter this lamb and to enjoy it together, but to also do this, to take blood from that lamb and take a hyssop branch and to put that blood over the doorpost of the houses uh, and he said that there was the angel of destruction, the, basically the wrath of God, okay, given personalities. Angel of destruction is going to pass over Egypt, but wherever he sees this blood on the top of the house, he will pass over that house. That's what Passover means. The angel of destruction, this monster, this enemy, death and the wrath of God, it's going to pass over you if you're covered under the blood. And each house would do that together. They would share this meal. They would eat the lamb. They would drink the wine, and they, and, and they would probably sing and celebrate, hallelujah. We don't have to worry about this destructive angel flying over us and slaughtering everybody because we're covered by the blood. I know that I've heard that, that phrase cheapened uh, before, but I don't mean it in a cheap or shallow or superficial way. I really do mean we are covered and cleansed and forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus, and that's what this ordinance is symbolizes and this is what the apostle paul said in first corinthians chapter 11 i'm going to read it and then we're going to do it together he said for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And just a few, a few preliminaries. This ordinance is for believers only. It's for those who have confessed and meant that Jesus is truly Lord and Savior. If you don't have that hope, if you don't have that confession, I would invite you to sit this out. Whatever household you're a part of, you don't, you don't have to, uh, to do this. You shouldn't do this. But if you are a believer and you're trusting in Jesus alone to save you from your sins, I want to invite you to join us right now um, as, as we celebrate this. And the disciples on that night when Jesus was betrayed, it says that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much. What we're about to do, what it represents, what it symbolizes, that we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven, God, because of your death. You suffered a violent death. You did not smile at death, Lord. The only thing that brought you joy was, was knowing what your death would secure, the forgiveness of your people. But you were sweating great job, drops of blood, Lord. Your soul was in great travail because you knew you were about to face the wrath of Almighty God, that your fellowship and your relationship with him for the first and last time in eternity was going to be broken. Thank you, Lord, for, for experiencing that tremendous horror, Lord on our behalf so that we would never have to. We gladly celebrate this with a thankful heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So that night, he broke the bread. He tore it just like his body was going to be torn. And then he took the cup, and probably what happened was he dipped the bread in that cup, and then he ate it. So let's do it together right now from wherever you're at. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Lord, thank you again that we have the hope of heaven and the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for this ordinance. It's been really strange, Lord, as a church to not be able to do this when we're gathered together. And it feels a little bit awkward to have to do it um, just digitally, seeing one another, uh, doing that. But I thank you that, that we can do that, Lord, together and feel united. Even though we're not face-to-face, -face, we're still very present and united in our spirit. And I pray this would have a powerful effect on our hearts today to just um, secure even deeper the truth that we have assurance that we are forgiven of our sins. And so we can face whatever threat uh, is brought to us, whether it's this virus or some other outside threat, Lord, and, and see it not necessarily as a threat, but as an opportunity to trust you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the Bible says that night after they uh, partook in the, the Lord's Supper that they sang a hymn together. So I think maybe the best way to close out our service is that Kyle is going to come and play a hymn for us, one that you're going to be very familiar with, and then I'll come back and give us a charge, and you can go back your way, okay? sent your one and only son to die for us, God. I pray that you let, let that just overwhelm us today, especially, Lord, and let it overwhelm us that you have risen again, Lord. You are alive and you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today in this live stream. I miss you all so much. Um, we have a few announcements. We have Men Knowing God coming up April 14th at 7.30 p.m., we have Women Knowing God, um, prayer gathering online through Zoom, uh, April 21st, 7.30. And then we have our fifth Wednesday prayer gathering, which will be on um, Zoom at 7 p.m. Some of you may not be as connected digitally, and we just want you to know that if there's anything that you need, please reach out to us. You can call us at the church office. You, um, we would be happy to pray with you and help you in any way. Um, that you need our email address um, contact at gracelifeflorida.com uh, sign up for texting we have that feature now and then also if you're not receiving emails please um, you know send us an email and we'll send you those um, monthly emails out and really they're a little bit more frequent now that we're not gathering together each Sunday um, but thank you uh, once again for uh, joining us today for this gathering I'm going to ask you to stand anyways and say our charge, even though you might be in your living room or who knows, maybe uh, you've watched this live stream, uh, you know, relaxing in bed, uh, you know, grace to you. This is a once in a lifetime thing, but uh, stand with me as we uh, say the charge. Are you ready? 
I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word oh, oh, to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. Hey, thanks for your patience, too, with our technical difficulties. Um, you know, it's none of this really matters, does it? All that matters is Christ. And so you just go this week and, and love on others in his name, and uh, we're all going to be okay. Uh, we love you. I'm giving you hugs. And uh, just happy Easter, and um, we'll see you soon.